chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 15 as we behold God's living word today. We only have two weeks left in the Body of Christ series that we've been in for some time now. As we continue to seek understanding and conviction about what a healthy church is. And if we're really going to do that, we have to preach on the topic that is before us today. And it is a very difficult topic to handle. And if I can be completely honest with you, I'm quite sensitive to the topic of giving. I recognize uh, throughout history and around our world that many pastors talk about giving to satisfy their own desires, using the congregation to meet their own needs. Uh, we see warnings, warnings of this in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I promise you, I'm quite sensitive to it. And uh, it's not exactly a fun sermon to preach. However, uh, I want you to know that we do fear God here. I fear the Lord. And we want you to fear the Lord as well. And so we must talk about these things. Uh, We must trust that God wants good things for us. And giving uh, speaks to kind of the state of our heart. The scriptures often discuss money. And specifically how money is a reflection of the spiritual condition of our hearts. Uh, We cannot love both God and mammon. Christ himself says. Oftentimes we are tempted to believe that the things that we own and the money that we have actually belong to us. But the Christian is confronted with the reality in scripture that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And therefore, we must recognize that all is from God. And that all we have is from God and we are to steward those things from God and we are to enjoy the things that God has given to us, but we are also to use the things that God has given us for his glory, which is the entire purpose why we exist. My objective in this sermon is to encourage you, those who are in Christ Jesus by grace through faith, to give generously, faithfully, cheerfully, giving back to God what is already his as an act of worship, and giving towards the things that God himself would have you give to. And all of this, all of this giving is in response to the generosity that has been provided us in Jesus. And that is the root of all Christian giving. We're going to rest in the fact, in the truth, that the one who provides for us will continue to meet our needs. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And we're holding to that truth today. Before we hop into our specific text, I want to lay out what Paul has been talking about prior to chapter 9. We see at the end of 1 Corinthians that Paul had begun raising funds for the church in Jerusalem, who had financial need. And by the time 2 Corinthians had come around, about a year later, we see in chapter 8 that Paul points the Corinthians specifically to the example of the Macedonians who are faithfully and generously giving to the church of Jerusalem. And despite them undergoing severe affliction, as Paul notes in chapter 8, verse 2, 
and being themselves in extreme poverty, the Macedonians had expressed their joy in Christ by generously giving to the church. They even went beyond their means, as it said in verse eight of chapter or verse three of chapter eight, and even begging Paul to be a part of this work. They had nothing, and yet they wanted to give to a church that also had nothing. How were they able to do this? That question confronts us from the scriptures. Well, very quickly, before we go to chapter 9, I want us to see in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians what the Word of God says. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia would have been the churches of Thessaloniki, Berea, and Philippi. But notice carefully what Paul says. The grace of God has been given to the churches of Macedonia. If we're going to talk about giving today, we must first begin with what, where God begins, and that is the fact that he first gave to the church. We do this because this is where Paul begins this section of Scripture. If our conversation does not start here, then we're going to end up somewhere else. He gave grace to the church at Macedonia. Well, how did he do this? Well, in verse 9 of chapter 8, Paul writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We don't often think of Christ as rich. Often in our minds we think of Christ as poor as we consider him here on this earth. But Christ was rich and he became poor so that those who were poor might become rich. This is the good news of the gospel of Christ. The reality is the gospel of Christ frees our hearts from sinful cravings. Uh, the gospel of Christ allows us to see that we no longer have to be entrapped or entangled in the false hopes that this world has to offer. And the Macedonians understood this. They were truly satisfied in Christ. It's quite remarkable. They had nothing, and yet they gave everything, and this is profound. Wanting to give away their belongings because they realized that they had a greater belonging. They had everything in Jesus. They were richer than anyone because they had the treasure of heaven. They looked to the cross of Christ and they saw in his poverty how they became rich and they followed suit. Well, we see in this context that the Macedonians also gave themselves back to the Lord. Verse 5 of chapter 8. They were able to do this charitable work to others because they gave themselves to the Lord. So, so think about what that means very quickly. They resolved in their own hearts to align themselves to with whatever God wanted them to do. So God gave them grace. Think about the sequence here. God gave them grace through Jesus Christ. They then gave themselves back to the Lord to be spent any way he chose. Thus they gave what they had to the church that had need. This is the beautiful cycle of gospel work that takes place in the life of his people. Oh, that we would be like the Macedonians, church. 
if we want to be a healthy church, this is what it looks like. This should be our goal, to love Christ so much, to be so aware of his grace, to be so grateful for his sacrifice that we open up our hearts and our hands to be spent any way that God would spend us. And this is actually the hope that Paul has for the Corinthians as well, that they too would be like the Macedonians who were clearly following the example of Christ. Now we see at the end of chapter 8 that Paul is sending some messengers to the Corinthians to kind of prepare them to give. The main point of this sermon, the way that we're going to unpack it here in the next few minutes, reads this way. God is the provider of all the needs of his church. And he supplies generous believers with resources to contribute to the needs in the church. And this is in response to his grace and it's for his glory. I'm going to read that again. God is the provider of all the needs of his church. And he supplies generous believers with resources to contribute to the needs in the church. And this is in response to his grace and for his glory. And there's just three motivations, gospel motivations of giving that I want us to consider today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The first can be found in verses 1 through 5, and it's this. Because the gospel, the people of God can give willingly willingly to support the body of Christ. Look with me in verse 1. Now it's super flawless for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, Paul writes. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Achaia is where the Corinthians were located. And your zeal, Paul says, has stirred up most of them. So Paul is simply following up with a promise that the Corinthians made at the end of 1 Corinthians, saying that they wanted to give to this church in Jerusalem. And that they had, he had told the Macedonians about this, and hearing of the zeal that the Corinthians had to give to the church at Jerusalem, it spurred up the Macedonians to do the very same thing, as it says in verse 2. Now, I want to be explicitly clear here. Paul is not manipulating the Corinthians into giving anything. He is simply, if you see in verse 2, he's encouraging them because he says, For I know your readiness, of which I boast to you, or about you, to the people of Macedonia. He wants them to fulfill the commitment that they had made. Now, look with me in verse 3. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead, Uh, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advancement the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. This means that Paul was sending some messengers to the church to prepare them 
that Paul and some Macedonians were coming to collect this gift that they had promised to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, We see here that giving has a proper accountability to it. Paul is laying out for them what they had said, and he's hoping that they fulfill it because the church at Jerusalem is depending upon them, ensuring that the church keeps its word and its faithfulness is applied to its word. We've said this before, but what we say and what we do ought to align, and that's the very heart of what Paul is pastoring through right here. We can deduce that this is not only to meet the needs of the church, But it's also to encourage the Macedonians in their faith, and it's to prove that the Corinthians are faithful themselves. And the motivation behind all of this is that Paul wants no one to be humiliated, including the Corinthians. He has the integrity of the gospel in mind here as he's reminding them to fulfill what they have promised. Now, If this question rises up in your mind, let me just swat it away. But Paul is not being legalistic here. He's not being manipulative. Each of us in this room pays our taxes. We each pay mortgages or rent. We each have responsibilities, and there's penalties to those responsibilities if we don't pay. There's a civil expectation that we seem to have no issue with. And Paul here is saying, you promised to do this, and I trust that you are ready to do this work, but just in case, I'm sending messengers ahead to prepare your heart to give faithfully. Paul is wanting the saints to give to the things that God loves, the things that God supports, and what is it that God supports? Well, look back with me in verse 1. It is the ministry for the saints. He wants the church to provide funds to the church that has need. This is the ministry that Paul is talking about here. It's going to the church. He wants them to align their hearts with what Christ purchased, and that is the church. Christ willingly gave his life to the church, and the church ought willingly to give their lives back to the one who saved them. We want to love the things that Christ loves. Beloved, do you love the things that Christ loves? Does your money go towards the things that Christ would have you give towards? The things that he laid his own life down for. I don't say this, I promise you, in manipulation. I say this because you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And you are able to give back to the very one and to the very church that he has died for. Paul seems to be focused on their hearts here. Because notice what he says in verse 5. Willingly give this gift. We want to willingly give to what Christ would have us give to. Now, the needs are going to look different in every church, right? Some churches are poor. Some are wealthy somewhere. Some are uh, churches in between. But every church has need. Uh, We see as need arise, this is what Paul would suggest. Give back because you have been given to. Whether this is uh, funds that arise out of facilities, uh, First Irving, we know a few things about that, or mission, or ministry, or personnel, 
Whatever it is, we see in scriptures that uh, Levites were taken care of by Israel. Ministers are taken care of by the church. Uh, funds are given for ministry to equip the saints for the work of, uh, of ministry. Uh, we support missionaries through the local church. Whatever it is, needs arise all over the place. The question uh, remains, do we give to the things that God loves? The things that he has instituted I, I, I enjoy being a Southern Baptist because we give funds to missionaries through the local church. In fact, through the general convention right now here in the state of Texas, we're giving funds away to churches that have need, uh, churches that have been devastated by natural disasters. Your funds go to that, just like the church in Jerusalem had need. This is a part of the ministry that the Lord has called us to and let me remind us, this is a matter of the heart. We open up our hearts because Christ has opened up his life to purchase us and bring us near to the fellowship. And therefore, this is something that we get to respond joyfully in doing. The second thing I want us to look at is in verses 6 through 10. And it's this. Because we have been purchased by Christ, we get to give confidently because God supplies abundantly. God supplies abundantly. Look with me in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul says that this is the point that he's trying to drive home. If you sow a little, you reap a little. But if you sow bountifully, you will receive a bountiful harvest. This is no new principle. This is no New Testament principle like you might be thinking. Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should and only suffers want. This is a principle that God is trying to teach us through his word. In context, Paul is telling the Corinthians to give generously. And you will reap generously from the results of those contributions. Beloved, when you give to the Lord, when you give to the Lord, good comes from this. Seeds are sown and the kingdom of God is developed. It grows. Paul says this is the point that he's driving home. It, my, my mom has just started gardening and she plants a few tomato seeds and she gets a few tomatoes. And we, she grows them for months and we get them and eat them in a, in a meal. But if you want to be a farmer of tomatoes, you have to sow a lot of seeds. There's an investment, a sacrifice that is required. Well, the kingdom of God is no different. We sow faithfully and we reap a harvest for the glory of God. Now, we must address this idea a little further because the prosperity preachers of our day take this passage and others like it and they twist God's word so as to appeal to the sensual desires and the carnal appetites of their followers. This is what prosperity preachers do. If you want to get rich, then give to the Lord and you will get back. We know in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money has its roots in all sorts of evil. And prosperity theology finds its end in itself. The motivation for giving in prosperity theology is to get back more of what you want. That is not what Paul is saying here. 
Paul provides clarity in verse 7 and 8. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. We're going to go back to that phrase here momentarily. But not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, church, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This passage here is not about getting rich. It's about giving in faith, believing that the Lord will meet your need, church family, because we all have needs, enabling you to abound more and more in good works, like giving, like he's talking about right here. Now, it says in verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver, a glad giver, a happy giver, a heart that is glad, recognizing what it's received, therefore willing and able and joyfully giving back what has been given. Friends, God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver to us. He has given us so much in Jesus. So much. I'm looking at the wealthiest people in the world right now. Those who have received the gospel of Christ. What a joyful gift it is then for us to give back to the one who gave it all. What a splendid gift. We know that God is a cheerful giver because of what it says in verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's the character of our God. It's taken from Psalm 111. Now go back up with me to verse 8. It says God is able. Now in the Greek it says able is God. I just love that. Able is our God to give. But notice what it is that God gives to make all grace abound to you. He says, he has given to you all grace, uh, verse 8, all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. Let me break that down for us. God loves when you give cheerfully to him because it reveals that you trust him, that you're depending upon him. And he will keep giving us more and more so that we can spend it on the things that he wants us to spend it on. He trusts us when we give generously back to him. It's a reflection of our faith in him. The prosperity preachers focus upon the very thing. That's prosperity, self-prosperity. But the Christian focuses on generosity. How do we give because we've been given? Look what it says in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So not only does he give and provide all things, but he does so abundantly. Look, all grace abounds to you. All things are given to you that you may abound in every good work. And he's the one, verse 10, who supplies the seed to the sower for this work. And he's the one who multiplies it. So he gives 
that you may give, and then he gives more so that we can give to the things that he wants us to give to. This is incredible. This is so against our own human nature. Beloved, we have such an incessant fear to hold on so tightly to our money. Putting our hope, whether we realize it or not, putting our hope in material things. We are so afraid to go without. I want you to press into that fear this morning. Press into that fear and turn to the God who is able and willing to provide abundantly for you because ultimately his name is attached to it and his mission is attached to it. What do you have, beloved, that you have not received? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And if you've received it from him, how is it that he's not able to provide it yet again? Think about that. If he's given you everything already and you're willing to give it all to the things that he wants you to give it to, he is able then to provide it again. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is our God. Now, look back up with me very quickly in verse 7 and see what Paul says. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, reluctantly, but uh, or under compulsion. You're not forced to give. You're encouraged to give. But you're not forced to give. Paul says to establish in your own heart what it is that you are supposed to give. So how does one decide in his own heart what it is that he's supposed to give. Paul doesn't give an amount here in the New Testament. But we do see in 1 Corinthians and here in 2 Corinthians that there's supposed to be some prior deliberation in our hearts that's to occur. What are we going to give back to God as those redeemed so that we can give back worshipfully to him? Something generous, something charitable, something sacrificial, knowing that he is going to supply our needs, and he already has in Christ. He's going to supply. This is who God is. He supplies for his people. And I, I recognize there's seasons where we, are, uh, we don't have much, uh, but he seems to be hitting something. What have you decided in your own mind to give Back to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, I think we're all very familiar with the Mosaic law and the Levitical tithe to give back a tenth uh, to God's priest so that they could survive. This was the offering that the people of God would give, a a 10% giving of all fruits that were uh, raised from the ground. But when you include the annual festival tithe that's described in Deuteronomy 14, which was paid annually in Jerusalem before a festival. It's the 10% annual increase to be consumed as a nation. And then you add additionally the triannual tithe, also from Deuteronomy 14, which is uh, the 10% increase from three years' time, which goes to orphans, widows, sojourners, foreigners, When you take all of that mosaic law of giving back to God into consideration, that's roughly 23 to 25% of the tithe that Israel would give in crops, fruits, and livestock back to God. It's more than 10%. I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty sure that that's more than 10%. Friends, we live in a new and better covenant. 
We live under the covenant blood of Jesus Christ. We ought to outgive our brothers and sisters in the old covenant because we are under a better blood. We ought to uh, uh, hold on to this thorough cleansing of this better blood of Jesus than they had back in the Old Testament. We have a greater hope of Christ's return than they ever had in the Old Testament. We are Gentiles who have been grafted into Israel and given the promises of the Messiah King. We have so much to be thankful for and our hearts are to, ought to reflect that charity that we've received. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given promises. Oh, let's be generous. Let's be generous. Now, I'm not saying that I'm telling you to give 25%. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm just saying, have the Lord do work in your heart of what charity looks like based on the charity you've received in Jesus I hope we're like the widows here, the widow in Luke 21 who gave two mites and it was more than all the rest because she trusted in God. She was thankful to God. He designed us to be conduits. He's promised to give and meet our needs to satisfy us, verse eight. And then as we give, he's gonna continue to give generously through us. Now, the New Testament never mentions the tithe. Uh, and you might think that Paul would, considering he's thoroughly Jewish, but he never does. But he also never dismisses the tithe explicitly. So my encouragement to you and your households is to determine in your own hearts, what do you give back to God? And recognize this is a reflection of your own spiritual commitment to God, your gratitude for the gospel, your heart, your spiritual condition before the Lord. And finally, I want us to see from verses 11 through 15 that because of the gospel, we can give obediently because God is glorified. Ultimately, we give back to God because he is glorified. That's why we give to the Lord. We want the world to know that our God exists. And this is the, the work, the fruit of his labor amongst his people. Look with me quickly in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So it kind of affirms what we've already been talking about. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. As we give, we are enriched in every way, Paul says, to be generous. Uh, when we have been given much and we begin to give then we begin to become generous in everything. You, you know what this is like. When you start giving, it feels so good to give that you, you kind of start enjoying it and you, you kind of produce in your own life a, a means to make sure that this is a practice, a discipline that we start falling under. If you've ever been giving, you, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's kind of contagious in your own heart. But look at the results of this generosity. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So it, this generosity from the church is supplying the needs that Jerusalem has, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13 now. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. 
because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. As, As the church is generous with the church, the needs of the church are supplied. But that is not the end only. Uh, We see here that there is a deep, genuine thanksgiving from the Jerusalem church to God. They are thanking God for the work that is transpiring in the churches that are assisting them. This is kind of flourishing out of them. And then look what it says in verse 13. And God is glorified. God is praised because of their generosity. Ultimately, we give obediently, faithfully, consistently because our God is glorified in it and the work that he wants to do. If you love God, you want God to be glorified. That is the, that's just the, that's the truth. If you love God and you've really sat and, and, and marinated in his love for you, we love because he first loved us then our desire as the church is to want to see him glorified as the church at Jerusalem is going to do. And this is, this is neat. Now, look what happens when we give back. This is just a little bit uh, further. Back in, uh, back in chapter 8, verse 24, Paul, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to give and, uh, and let it be proof of their love for God and for the church. He says in 8.24 specifically, he says, So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Well, here's the good news. When, when you begin to give generously, the people of God see this work tangibly and the power of God manifested before them. And they begin to praise God. And look what happens here in verse 13, it says they will glorify God. And look at the the clause. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. They're, They're praising God because the Corinthians have submitted themselves to the gospel of Christ, the confession of the gospel that they have made in Jesus. Christian giving is directly related to the gospel. It's one thing to say that you're a Christian. It's another thing to believe it and to act in it, to walk in it. And they did so by their generous contribution to the church. And this strengthens the church. The the church of Jerusalem is going to praise God for the Corinthians and their obedience to the Christ that they're confessing. Look how Paul believes they're going to respond. He lays it out in verse 14. He says, while they long for you and pray for you, because of your surpassing grace, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. He's recognizing that the grace of God is upon this church and the church of Jerusalem is going to recognize this. Uh, They have an opportunity to participate and assist in the discipleship of this church in Jerusalem. To assist in this church's praise of God. And Paul's saying, stick to your word. Do it. This is going to be good for you. This is going to be good for them. The name of God will be praised. The work will be advanced. 
and your hearts will be proven true. All of this is possible because of the grace of God upon them. All the characters in this, these two chapters, the Corinthians, the Macedonians, the church at Jerusalem, Paul himself, they've all been evangelized. They've all been declared righteous before God. They've all been reconciled to God by grace through Jesus. They've all been given the Holy Spirit. They've all been enabled to, uh, to make great professions that Christ is Lord. And they've all been given the ability to give back because their hearts have been given too. And this is why Paul shouts with such a loud shout in verse 15 to close the passage. Thanks be to God for what? His inexpressible gift. He takes it all back to the gospel itself. Lord, thank you for the gospel, Paul is saying. It's only possible, this work is only possible because of this gospel, the gospel of grace. Warren Wearsby uh, once said, Emerson said that if the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. We have seen the stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. We have grown accustomed to our blessings. The Israelites in the wilderness got accustomed to their blessings, and God had to chasten the people in Numbers 11. God had fed the nation with heavenly manna each morning, and yet the people were getting tired of it. But now our whole being is dried up, they said. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Verse 6 of, chapter, uh, of Numbers chapter 11. Nothing but manna, they said. They were experiencing a miracle of God's provision every morning, yet they were no longer excited about it. Nothing but manna. Brothers and sisters, have you lost your gratitude to God somewhere along the way? Have you forgotten somewhere along the way of the great and glorious gift that you have been given in Jesus? Has it, has your, has your lack of memory caused you to be stale in your generosity? Forgetting what it is that has kindled your heart, warmed your heart, saved your heart from perishing, from being separated forever from God. You are not that. Oh, that our hearts would be rekindled to the work of Christ today. Like these Macedonians, like Paul, who is writing and writing and pastoring and pastoring, and he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul never got over the gospel. He never got over it. Oh, I hope we don't get over the gospel. I hope we just sit. We don't, we don't move too quickly. And we remember what it is that God has done for us in Jesus. How do we respond today? There's three quick ways we want you to respond today. First, consider what you have been given by God. Consider what you have been given by God. And let that be your driving motivation in your charity and your generosity Improve upon your understanding of Christ today. Sit at his feet. Be refreshed by the, the grace of God that you have received. Your sins are forgiven. You don't have to walk in sin anymore. You've been given the spirit of God.
to fight sin. Be refreshed in that. Be reminded. Can reconsider what it is that God has given to you today. We're in Thanksgiving week. I, I think you know that. I hope you do. Or it's going to be hard to get a turkey. But connect this to Thanksgiving. The Macedonians were so thankful for what they had received. So thankful that they were willing to give it all. Even in their poverty, begging Paul to let them give it all away. To participate in real thanksgiving, don't miss this, to participate in real thanksgiving, it is to recognize that you have actually received something that you do not deserve. You cannot be thankful if you think you deserve something. But if you recognize that you don't deserve it, then you will have a thankful heart. Number two, identify what God loves and give to it. Pray that God would align your heart with his heart. What, what is it that God is giving to? He gives to his church so that the church can do all sorts of ministries, including feed the poor, care for missionaries, do the work of ministry. There's so much that God wants to do through his church, and we're not yet doing all the things that God wants us to do. Our desire is to steward all of that faithfully, but what is it that God would have you give to and be give, begin giving to those things? The reality is this. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. Go do inventory in your bank account and see what you're giving to. It's just good spirit. It's a good spiritual checkup. When I was 25, all you would see is Mexican food and video games. I don't give to those things as much anymore, Mexican food still. But honestly, in not trying to be too funny about this, go and check, see what you're giving to, and then align your heart to what God would have you give to. And then the third and final thing, beloved, trust that God will provide for you as you faithfully give back to him. It is reality. Every person in this room has needs, and God knows those needs his word, says, his word says in the book of Hebrews that uh, give, don't, don't, don't fall into not giving and remember that Christ is with you always. He is with you always. He will sustain you. We will never give generously without discovering afresh God's ability to supply every need that we have. Do you actually believe that today? Do you believe that God actually owns the fullness of the earth and all that is within it? Do you, do you believe that he has given you everything that you have? How, how come he couldn't give you everything else again? What a hope. What a, man, we should be so charitable. So charitable. I, I want to close by this little footnote. I want you to know how grateful we are as a staff that you give to the church to do the work of ministry. You allow us to support our families and to do this work. You, you, your contributions go to supporting missionaries like, like the one we're commissioning, we commissioned last week. You have given very faithfully to this church, and I just want you to know from our staff to the body, thank you. 
Without it, we would not be able to do full-time ministry. We would not be able to work hard at stewarding God's resources, something that we want to be very attentive to, something that we will always want to grow in and always evaluate year after year. But you are giving to the Great Commission. You are giving to the things that please God for his glory. And just as the church in Jerusalem is, is going to be thankful for the contributions they receive, your church staff is very thankful to God for you. I want you to know that. If you are not a Christian today, we, we do want you to know Jesus. He, he has come to save. He's actually come to seek and to save that which is lost. If you're lost today, wandering and you don't know where you're going, there is a shepherd who calls out people by name and they hear his voice and they come to him. And the shepherd forgives sins. He, he keeps them from eternal separation in hell apart from him and there is no hope. If you don't know Jesus, oh, we want to talk to you. There's several pastors that will be down here momentarily. If you're a Christian who gives, uh, be encouraged to joyfully give still in your heart. I hope your heart is rekindled today to give back to the God who's given you so much. If you're not giving, I hope this is a word for you to encourage you towards this, not because of the budget, but because of your own heart and to see God's name praised amongst the nations. It's a genuine appeal from this pulpit through the word of God to you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it does work on us. Father, oh, we, we want to be thankful people, generous people, because this is a reflection of who you are and how you have handled us. So God, help us not to white-knuckle the things that we own, but help us to open up our palms and trust that when we give, you will be glorified, you will supply our needs, and you will continue to give to us so that we can give to the things that you would have us give to. Increasing thankfulness amongst the body, increasing your glory amongst the nations. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.